0: Amen. Let's look at John chapter 6 this morning. John chapter 6 and verses 49 through 58. Uh, It's uh, a long chapter and uh, just breaking this down, uh, this is uh, built on the feeding of the 5,000 and the people who are following Jesus because He fed the 5,000, they recognize in Him a great leader And they hope and believe that they found one greater than Moses, who Moses promised would come. And, of course, when they think of Moses, they think of deliverance from their captors, the Egyptians. And they think of their current state uh, under captivity and bondage to Rome. And they want to be free from Rome as well. And so they believe, look, two things that they see in Jesus. One... He's a great leader. He might be able to lead us out from the bondage of Rome. And two, he can feed us. He can keep us fed so that when we go up against Rome, we won't have a bread problem. Moses fed us manna in the wilderness and Jesus just fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And so surely he could do the same thing. And so they're following him and Jesus Points this out as well at the beginning of John chapter six, that they're not following him for the miracles, but because of the f- bread, because he fed them. That's why they're following. And then Jesus begins to explain in what kind of bread, the kind of way he has bread, how he's bread. And in this chapter, probably one of the strangest chapters on the surface Uh, Or strangest passages in the Bible, certainly uh, strange even within the context of John chapter six, what Jesus says here, because in this passage, Jesus insists that he doesn't just give bread. He is bread. He doesn't just feed the people. He is the food for the people let's stand and read and i want to preach to you this eating the bringing in verse 49 reading down through 58 these are the words of god your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die i am the living bread which came down from heaven if any man eat of this bread he shall live forever and the bread that i will give is my flesh which i will give to the world the therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me and I in him as the living father hath sent me and I live by the father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for saying these things and thank you for uh, moving John to record them. For us, so that we can have this to think on and meditate on, and may it increase our understanding of you and how much we depend on you as believers. And Lord, I pray that we would eat you, that you would be food to sustain eternal life for us, that we wouldn't just see you and believe, but that we would chew and swallow, and drink, and be fed, and nourished. You are the bread of eternal life. And I pray that we would receive you as such, that we would see our absolute and utter dependence on you. Please help me as I open the word of God this morning. I pray that I would be able to make it very clear, the sense of it, and show what we ought to do because of it. And I pray that your people would receive the word of God as it's preached, that they would search the scriptures, that they would examine what you're saying in the word of God and and try the message by it. But Lord, when we see that this is what you're saying, I pray that all of us would respond rightly to it. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. And so we come to a passage where Jesus leaves us with no choice. No wiggle room, no getting out of it right here. No denying what he claims. There are passages that you can read in the Bible and you can tell yourself that Jesus is a great moral teacher, a good man, um, but the disciples just made too much of him. You can tell yourself that. The Bible is a good book. You know, this is the slander against Christians these days. People will say this. The Bible is wonderful. I love the Bible. I wish Christians would actually follow it. They'll say. When they say that. They never mean. That they wish we wouldn't live such. Wicked and debased lives. What they mean is. That they wish that we would embrace homosexuality. And applaud it. That's what they mean. Every time. The idea has been around for a long time that Jesus was good and kind and tolerant. And the problem with Christianity is that we don't try to be like Jesus. Instead, we've gone crazy trying to make a God out of Jesus. But then we come to this passage, which is in the Bible. And is Jesus speaking, this is what he said. This is not the disciples didn't make this up. You know that's another thing that is said that the disciples tried to tried to deify Jesus, and so they come out with these crafty things like this, right here, which is hogwash, <clears throat> baloney, um, and other things that we could say about it, that kind of thing. In other parts of scripture, you might be able to ignore the plain statements of Jesus or explain them away. While you insist that Jesus was nothing more than a great moral teacher. But this one you can't ignore. You can't ignore what he's saying here. And it reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, where he said, I'm ready to accept Jesus. You know, he said it's very foolish of those. Who say this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing Lewis said we must not say a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. Did not intend to and what he says right here eliminates the possibility that he's a great moral teacher. If he says these things and is not speaking as God, then he is wicked right here. Either wicked or crazy or he's speaking the absolute gospel truth here. And by the way, if the if the um, disciples were trying to deify Jesus and were trying to persuade us that Jesus is in fact God, surely they would would have not ever thought of including this passage in John chapter six, because this passage gives trouble even to fervent believers. We're not exactly sure what to do with what Jesus says here in this passage. Again, he was either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. Clearly, his audience did not consider him to be a lunatic. The audience did not. They became angry and fought over what he said, according to verse 52. They were not saying to Jesus, they're there. Now, now, good boy, patting him on the head and then walking away snickering at the crazy thing that Jesus just said, which, by the way, If the disciples were trying to make a a sane case, a rational case, pardon pardon me, for for Jesus being God, um, they they would not have recorded this. And if they did record it, they would have had the uh, Jesus in verse 53 immediately saying, no, 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 you're misunderstanding me right here. But he he does nothing of the kind. They didn't chain him, chain him up and drag him off to the lunatic asylum here. And he wasn't lying. Three times in this passage and earlier in the passages before this, Jesus promised that at the last day he would raise up those who believe in verse 40 and in verse 44 and in verse 54, which is part of our text here. Soon, in fact, he will prove his power to do exactly that. A man who can raise himself from the dead has power also to raise you from the dead. He is the first fruits of all that believe, the Bible says. The first to be resurrected, a display of his own power over death, and a pledge of what he would do for others, those who believed. So when he said three times in this passage, verse 40, verse 44, verse 54, when he said, and I will raise him up at the last day, Jesus proved that he was not lying. So Jesus isn't wicked. He isn't crazy. He isn't lying. He isn't loony. Jesus pointed out that those who ate the manna in the wilderness were dead. It was a verifiable fact. All those who ate the manna in the wilderness died. Not from the manna, but they all died. So the manna in the wilderness sustained their life, but only for a time. And then he pointed at himself. He's just called himself the bread of life. In fact, the last passage I preached, verses 35 through 48, our book ended by that statement. Verse 35 he says he's the bread of life in verse 48. He says it again. I am that bread of life. And now in verse 50, which, by the way, as it's such a long passage, we, um, it would be very difficult to preach all of chapter six in a single message. But we should remember that this is all one message. Jesus isn't pausing and taking a few weeks off in between saying these things. And so he immediately says in verse number 50, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven. Remember, the manna was bread that came down from heaven. It was bread from heaven, right? He fed them with angels food. But now Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven and he added that a man may eat thereof and not die so get that the jews the israelites ate the manna in the wilderness and died and jesus says now i am the bread that came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die i'm better than the man in the wilderness now again it would be a wicked for a man To promote himself that way. Arrogant. Unless. It were the truth. The truth. Of the gospel. And then Jesus makes a clear statement. I am the living bread. Which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread. He shall live forever. And the bread that I will give. Is my flesh. Which I will give. For the life of the world. The people here were not confused about what Jesus was saying. They were not confused about it. They knew that he was talking about himself. They knew that absolutely. In fact, they became a little testy about it. In verse 52, the word strove indicates that they had a pretty serious debate about this among themselves. Their debate was over. How in the world Jesus would give them his flesh to eat. So when you read this, I'm going to get into this a little bit more. But when you read this, there's not a trick in the language here. What you see and what you're reading here is what Jesus is saying. And not only that, but it is how the people understood what Jesus is saying. They were horrified that Jesus said it. In fact, more than just horrified, they rejected him for saying it. They said, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And the the Greek here is simply, How can this, as if they're disgusted, how can this, this, like they don't know what to say, what to call him here. How can this? They couldn't bring themselves to say what they really thought of him in this moment. I imagine maybe they were thinking, how can this Galilean, because they've just said that in fact, isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? That's how they're seeing him. That's how they're looking at him. How they understand Jesus as a Galilean. How can this Galilean say this? He's going to give us his flesh to eat and that's going to make us live forever? But Jesus didn't back down. In fact, in the verses that follow, he doubled down. Verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, And drink his blood. Ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh. And drinketh my blood. Hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. He gave this reason. My flesh is meat indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. He said. The word indeed. Translates the Greek word for truth. So he's saying truly Absolutely, authentically, my flesh is meat. Absolutely, he says, my blood is drink. Authentically, truly drink, he says. And then he said it again, he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Only this time he didn't talk about eternal life, but instead about the part of eternal life that we enjoy now. Remember what food does, right? For your body, what food does for your body, you know this, right? It turns into the the substance of your body. The old saying is, you are what you eat, right? Um, I think Mrs. Ms. Leslie, when she was Miss Leslie, now Mrs. Diedrich, taught my kids, if you are what you eat, then we're all dead meat. <clears throat> but it is... Really a miracle of nature that God changes what we eat into bone and marrow and tissue and blood and sinew. And so as Jesus continued to speak of himself as true meat. True drink. He points out that mutual indwelling between a a sinner and His savior. He is in us and we in him. And just as Jesus lived by the Father, so the believer lives by the Son. The word by, in verse 57, comes from a preposition that literally means because of. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by, or because of the Father, so he that eateth me, even he, shall live by, or because of, me. The verse expresses our absolute and total dependence on Jesus Christ for all of life. All of life. And so the 58th verse wraps it all up with a kind of summary. And I want you to notice that Jesus turns that earlier scorn from verse 52. He turns back on them. They said, how can this? Man. Give us his flesh to eat. And verse 58, Jesus says, This is the bread which came down from heaven. This that you despise. This, Galilean, as you see me, is the bread that came down from heaven. And he points back to the manna again. He's like the manna in that he came down from heaven. But he is not like the manna because those who ate that manna died later on, eventually. And Jesus said, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now, before I go any further, I need to say this. I believe what Jesus said here. It doesn't bother me what Jesus said here. I'm not embarrassed about what Jesus said here. It's interesting to me the different things from the Bible that atheists and unbelievers and skeptics will use in order to try to embarrass us about the Bible. You know the passage that I've never seen someone try to embarrass me with is this passage in John chapter six. Now I'm not sure why that is exactly. I have a feeling that people recognize that there is something profound that Jesus is saying right here and that they don't want to get into what that is. But brothers and sisters, we are going to get into what that is this morning, and I hope that you'll be delighted by it. And if you've heard this before, which you have, many of you have heard this before, I hope that it will be reinforced in your mind what Jesus is saying, because this is such a profound and glorious truth. For us, let's get into what Jesus is saying right here. What Jesus said here was very troubling, not only for the Jews that heard him, but also for us in this modern age as well. This might be one of the most troubling passages in all of the New Testament. Jesus says that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. How do we explain that? We can offer three possible explanations what Jesus says here in this passage about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Number one, we might be misreading what Jesus is saying here. He might be saying something different and we might just not be able to understand it exactly. Maybe the language. Number two, Jesus could mean this literally. That he literally, isn't that a popular word now? Like literally, I am literally sick. Right? I am literally hungry right now. I am literally like so happy right now and so on. And literally it's become like one of those buffer words now. But but no, Jesus could mean this literally, that he actually wants us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. If so, then there are two explanations. Either Jesus here is teaching and promoting cannibalism or he is pointing to the Lord's Supper, communion. Number three, the third possibility is that Jesus might be speaking figuratively. Either um, he eating stands for the way that we receive him. These are, as far as I can tell, the only three possible explanations. So we're going to go through and look at all three possibilities and see what which one seems the most reasonable um, for this, okay? So first, we might be misreading the passage. Let's, Let's admit, at least, the possibility that we could be misreading the passage. And so let's take a closer look at what Jesus says right here. First of all, Jesus makes the same statement several different ways in the passage. In verse 50, he says that a man may eat thereof and not die. The Greek word rendered eat is phage a common word for? Hold on, buckle up. You ready for this? A common word for eating. It's, it's the Greek word for eating. Okay, so when he says that man may eat thereof, he uses the word for eat right there. Okay. In verse 51, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. In this word, you're not going to believe this, but he uses the same Greek word for eating in verse 51. Only this time he makes a conditional statement. If you eat his flesh. Notice, by the way, that he's specific about what it is you must eat. If you eat his flesh. You will live forever. He makes it a conditional and if-then kind of statement. If you eat his flesh, then you will live forever. In verse 53, he says, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. He uses again a conditional statement here. The conditional here has a different kind of force. Uh, This time it's in the form of unless or except you eat his flesh. You have no life in you. But again, in this verse, verse 53, he uses the same Greek word for eating right here. Only this time, he adds something that to us, to our ears, is even more horrifying. He adds to eating his flesh, also drinking his blood. We've got vampires here. Now again, this is a straightforward translation. He uses the common word for drink. And he uses the common word for blood right here. Verse 54 makes the most direct statement of all. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. He says, now this time he uses a different Greek word. Trogon. Trogon, the Greek word trogon, means to chew and swallow. Okay, so it's not, you know, it's not just straight up eating. It is chewing and swallowing, which is the act, as you all know, of eating. Since we don't assimilate food, um, like hold it near our mouths and absorb it through our skin or through our hands or something like that, it comes to us by means of chewing and swallowing. Now, why does, why does he change words right here? Uh, <clears throat> we don't know. I can't tell you. Um, but I will tell you that we do this pretty commonly. We might say eat. We might say devour. We might say consume. We use various words for things like eating. Verse 56 Uses the same word as verse 54. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Same with verse 57. So he that eateth me, chews and swallows, even he shall live by me. And verse 58 goes back to that original Greek word phage. this is the bread, this is that bread which came down from heaven. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And there I've given you the behind the scenes. A look behind the scenes. I pulled back the curtain and let you see what the Greek is saying here. And if the language is not plain enough, clearly the Jews thought that he was offering to give them his own flesh to eat because they argued in verse 52, a heated argument about how he would do this. And Jesus doesn't correct them in verse 53. When he had the opportunity, he doesn't say, oh, no, 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 no. I don't mean for you to literally eat my flesh and drink my blood. He doesn't say that at all. In fact, he was the most direct when they had the heated argument. How is he going to do it? he gives an even more direct, more plain, more clear statement in the verses that follow to make sure they understand that that is what he's saying. So clearly then, we are not misunderstanding what Jesus is saying here. He is saying in this verse, if you don't eat his flesh, chew it and swallow it and drink his blood, then you do not have life in you. That's what he's saying. Okay so then the second thing is that maybe Jesus means this literally maybe he means to feed us with his flesh and his blood that would mean as i pointed out either cannibalism or communion now cannibalism is not an option and i'm going to tell you why this again just hang on like we're full of full of big surprises here in this one Jesus lived, after he said this, he lived for another year and a half. And he lived for that entire year and a half without anyone ever snacking on his body. All right. He never once like broke off a finger and handed it out to the disciples here and like multiplied it or any of that kind of thing. And when he died, when he died, no one roasted his flesh over an open fire and, you know, stuck it in a hot dog bun and and had a snack of the flesh of Jesus. So if this is literal, Jesus never gave his flesh to be eaten, never gave it to anyone to be eaten. That would leave the only other possible explanation as being the Lord's Supper. That Jesus meant to speak of communion here when he said eat my flesh and drink my blood. If so, that means He means to say that in the Lord's Supper, we eat the actual flesh and drink the actual blood of Jesus. Now, that's actually, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this, but if you're not familiar with Roman Catholicism or familiar with Lutheranism, then maybe you don't know that there is a segment of quote unquote Christianity out there that actually believes that that's what we're doing in the Lord's Supper. The Catholics call it transubstantiation that when the bread and the uh the wine is blessed by the priest, that it turns into the flesh of Jesus Christ. Of course, um when they're eating it, it tastes an awful lot like bread, from what I understand. It still tastes like bread and uh and so on. Um but and and I'd love to take your question, but I really want to finish the thought here. On this, the Lutheran Church teaches what they call consubstantiation, which is that after you swallow it, then it turns into the blood and body of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but there are some serious problems with this uh, understanding of things, and i'm I'm not going to totally go into it right here, but let me just point out in the context here, okay. Nobody listening to Jesus in that moment knew anything about the Lord's Supper. Jesus didn't institute the Lord's Supper for another year and a half because he didn't die for another year and a half. So there was no Lord's Supper when Jesus said this, and there wasn't going to be for another year and a half. And when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, yes, When he handed out the bread, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. But he was not saying you're eating my flesh here. Secondly, if it's true that in the Lord's Supper, we—that that is the place where we eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood. If that is true, then eternal life does not come through the grace of God. Not at all. It comes through the Lord's Supper. And all that's necessary is for a person to eat the Lord's Supper. And they have the they have eternal life. In which case, eternal life would not be a gift of grace. It would be the byproduct of an act, a religious act on the part of man. Which would mean really that we could do away with the entirety of, of the New Testament and simply tell people, hey, look, Jesus died for you. He said, if you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have eternal life. Here it is at the Lord's Supper. Come to the table, have something to eat, and then go live your life. Which would, again, contradict all of scripture. Now, later in this same passage, in verse 63, I want you to notice what Jesus says here. In verse 63, he says, It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh, he said, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Frankly, then, it would be weirdness if Jesus extended his gift of salvation by making us eat bread that somehow Turned into the flesh of his son. So Jesus tells us that the flesh does nothing for us. Fourthly, I want you to notice the way verse 54 and verse 40 compare to each other. I want you to notice this. Verse 54 is the plainest statement of what Jesus said. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. But notice how verse 40 compares to that. And this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So there's a parallelism between the two. What Jesus said earlier about seeing and believing, he now says about eating and drinking. The reason should be plain enough. Jesus meant for eating and drinking to be a type of seeing and believing. The eating and drinking then is figurative. Jesus is using metaphor. Eating means believing. Now a metaphor, in case you didn't know this, but a metaphor is something that is, distinct from and yet fully identified with my favorite metaphor of all. And the easiest one for me to to give you that you'll be able to understand is where the Bible says that God is a rock. All right. A rock is distinct from God and nobody looks at a rock and thinks that's God. And nobody looks at God and thinks that he is a rock in the fullest possible sense or meaning But we all, as believers in Christ, absolutely believe that God is a rock. We do. Because the Bible says that he's a rock. And because we understand that when the Bible says that God is a rock, the Bible is not saying that he's dead. The Bible is not saying that he's dull. The Bible is saying that he is immutable, that he is unchangeable, that he is unmoving, that he is immovable. That He is solid. That He doesn't change. That He is not changed or transformed by pressure that is applied to Him. That He goes on being the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is a rock. Even so, when Jesus said, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, He meant... To explain to us in terms we could understand and picture in our mind what it means to see and believe. And by the way, what hope do you and I have of seeing and believing? Jesus ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago and has yet to return. We have not seen him. With our eyes. And yet we believe. Jesus said he that seeth. And believeth. Has eternal life. Everlasting life. And then he said. He that eateth my flesh. And drinketh my blood. Hath eternal life. He's giving you another way of understanding this seeing and believing. Let's go back and look at the text again. As a living bread, Jesus compared himself to the manna in the wilderness. Is Jesus the manna in the wilderness? Were the, were the Israelites, when they ate the manna in the wilderness, were they eating Jesus? No. Of course not. Of course not. That'd be silly, wouldn't it? But this is the point here. Jesus is saying, though, that the manna was a metaphor for himself. He pointed to himself and now he points back at that and says that manna, it came from heaven. It was bread from heaven and I also am bread from heaven. But there's a difference. There's a difference. Those that ate that manna died and you that eat this manna will never die. That's what he says here. Here. They ate the first bread of heaven and they died. But now there's another bread from heaven. And if they'll eat that, they will not die. What exactly is that bread from heaven? In verse 51, Jesus clearly means to point not merely to himself. Look at verse 51. Because Jesus says there he points At himself, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Not just his flesh, but his flesh given for the life of the world. In other words, the crucified flesh of Jesus Christ, that is the bread given for the life of the world. The word for, I will give for the life of the world. That word means on behalf of, I will give my life on behalf of, I will give my life for the sake of it. It is, in fact, the Greek preposition that is most often used to speak of the substitution of Jesus Christ putting himself in the sinner's place, bearing our sins, suffering for those sins, dying our death. In our place, so it is the sacrificed flesh of Jesus, the crucified flesh of Jesus, that is the life of the world. The crucified flesh of Jesus gives eternal life to the world. Jesus gave his flesh to be crucified. But Jesus goes even further in verses 53 through 56. He adds that not only must they eat his flesh, but they must also drink his blood. When you separate the blood from the flesh, we all know what happens. That's death. That's what death is. Separating the the, the blood from the flesh causes death, and that's what Jesus means for us to think as well. It is the dying, yea, even the dead flesh of Jesus Christ a death he died in our place as our substitute as a sacrifice to satisfy God's demands that justice be served on our sin that flesh <clears throat> when you separate the bod- the blood from the flesh you get death and when Jesus died his blood was separated from his flesh Not in a mild way, not in a kind way, not in a gentle way, not the way that you might separate the blood from the flesh of a chicken if you're slaughtering the chicken. The blood was separated from Jesus Christ in the most brutal possible way. It was beat out of him, it was tortured. Out of him. Out of his body. So that not only did he die. And not only did he spill his blood in his death. But he was tormented for our sin. That's what the Bible says. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. But then notice the way Jesus refers to himself in verse 53. He calls himself by an important name. He calls himself the son of man. The title points to his humanity as well as his deity. When Jesus gave his life for the world, he did so as as the God man. God in human flesh. So it's not just crucified flesh that gives life to the world. There were thousands, tens of thousands who were crucified. But not one crucifixion would give life to the world except the crucifixion of the Son of Man, the God-Man. That flesh, flesh of the incarnate God, The flesh where God's glory is put on full display. That flesh is the flesh that we must eat. That flesh. That flesh reveals God the Father's love for sinners through his self-sacrifice on the cross. Because God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Clearly then Jesus means for all of this to point to his Death on the cross, not any death on the cross, but his own death on the cross. Now, <clears throat> when I eat a steak, I like to eat it pretty rare. My wife says she, I like it just on the, um, the, the near side of mooing um, right there. I, I like it to be still have a little bit of the remnants of life. In it. I like a little blood in there. No, I like a lot of blood in there and, and so on. I, but I will say um, the, the moo may be faint, but I like it still to be dead. Okay. Maybe recently dead, but I like it to be dead. And this is kind of a general rule for food that before it can be food, it has to be dead. And Jesus must die so that he can be food for a starving world, a world that's starving because of their rebellion against him. For Jesus to be food, he must be dead. And we don't feed on the crucified Christ with our teeth, but rather we feed on him through faith by believing in him. And to put one final nail in the coffin, Jesus promised repeatedly in this passage, and I will raise Him up at the last day. In verse 40 He said it. In verse 44 He said it. In verse 54 He said it. If we could eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus directly, we would not need that promise whatsoever. We would eat that flesh, we would drink that blood, And we would never die. We would live forever. But clearly that is not what Jesus is doing. He's not offering us the fountain of life that you never knew about. He's not offering that right here. Jesus insists that we believe his promise of good things yet to come. And believing that promise amounts to eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Because what do you do? When you eat food, but appropriate it to yourself, apply it to yourself, you chew it and you swallow it and it assimilates your body, absorbs it and you assimilate it into your body and God designed your body to take that and break it down and add it to the different things so that your bones are renewed and so that your marrow is Renewed, And so that your tissue is re- renewed. And so that your blood is renewed. And God is feeding the body by means of that. And even so, as we see what God promised in his word. As we see what Jesus did for us in his word. And as we believe that what Jesus did, he didn't just do for the world. He did it for me Personally. And I receive it from Jesus and I appropriate it to myself. See, it's not enough that Jesus died and that he rose again from the grave. It's not enough that he bled and suffered in my place and for my sin and died my death. I can see that all day. I can look at it and I can admire it and I can appreciate it. But what Jesus is telling me is that I've got to eat it. I have to eat it. I can't just admire that table full. I, I'm a fan of Norman Rockwell. I like his, you know, I don't care. There, there's a debate about whether he's an artist or an illustrator. I don't care. I just like the pictures. And I love that picture of the Thanksgiving dinner, the table uh, buckling, bowing. Beneath the weight of all the food that set out, the feast that set out in front of that family and all their smiling, happy faces as they're about to devour. But let me tell you something. I have never been fed by that picture of Norman Rockwell. I've been made to be hungry by looking at it, but I have never been fed by it. I am fed much more by sitting down All right now. Forgive me for saying this, but sitting down at my own table and eating meat weenies, which doesn't look as good in an illustration as Norman Rockwell's Thanksgiving dinner, but it feeds me a whole lot better. You know why it feeds me? Because I put it on my plate and I stick a fork in it and I put it in my mouth and I chew it and swallow it I make it mine that's what Jesus is saying make it yours make it yours it's wonderful that Jesus died on the cross and died in the sinner's place and died for our sin and by means of his death reconciled us to God but all of that if you die knowing all of that and thinking that all of that is true When you stand before God, it will do you no good if you've not received it for yourself, if you've not taken it for yourself as yours. And and look, when, when I was a kid, you know, at lunchtime, we would mess with each other, and somebody would walk by my place where I was eating, and they'd grab something off my lunch, and they'd take a bite out of it and stick it back down. I know, that's rude, really rude, but people did stuff. Can you imagine teenagers being rude? Who ever heard of such a thing? This has to be an 80s phenomenon. But it happened back in the 80s when we were not so kind and gentle as what we are today. The reason we think that's rude is because they took my food and they made it theirs. It's stealing, I mean if you said that's stealing, you'd be right, that's stealing it was not yours, but you made it yours. When you eat it, it is now yours. Once in a while, one of my friends, I'd protest, and he'd go, oh, here, can I have it back. All right? Yeah, no, I'm not taking it back now. Put it back in your mouth. All right? Why do I say that? Because the point is that Jesus died for you His crucified flesh, which is the crucified flesh of almighty God. was given for the life of the world and it is yours when you make it yours. You take it for yourself. You chew it and swallow it. It's yours. That's what it means to eat and drink. And in verse 53, Jesus added that unless a person ate his flesh and drank his blood, he said they had no life in them. Now, if Jesus meant this literally, then that makes no sense because all those people are standing there and they all have life, right? They all have life in them. Right. And when Jesus said no life, if he meant that literally, then. They would not have any life. They wouldn't be alive. So Jesus would be talking to nobody right there. We could not even have temporal life until we eat his flesh and drink his blood. So absolutely, Jesus did not mean for us to eat his actual physical body. But Jesus means that we should chew and swallow him as our savior, that we would be fed and nourished by his death on the cross. Now, I want you to bear with me while I make a couple points of application. Number one, what Jesus said here will not make sense. It will not make total sense to you until you come to believe on him. You won't fully understand it until you come to him by faith. Repenting of your sin, turning from that life lived for self. And come to him by faith, receiving him as your Savior. So long as you're lost, Jesus' words will still be confusing at best and maybe even disturbing to you. As a believer in Christ, as I've already said, I can tell you I don't have any problem or objection to what Jesus said here in this passage. It doesn't bother me at all. I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm not disgusted by it. I've never eaten one piece of the flesh of the body of Jesus Christ. I've never had the bread of the Lord's table turned to the body of Jesus in my mouth or in my stomach. That's kook. That's craziness. That's weird. Jesus wants us to understand what it means to believe on him. And so he uses language we can picture. He says, chew and swallow. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. John the Apostle means to tell us that Jesus is all we need. All we need. He is exactly what we need. He is, in fact, everything that we need. Take him. Believe him. Chew him. Swallow him. And be fed that bread, the crucified body of Jesus Christ. Is the bread of eternal life, sustains us, not just for this life, but sustains us for all eternity. Jesus is what you need. But typically. We seek everything except what we need. We think that a better job, more money, a nicer house or car, better relationships, fewer problems, or something else would satisfy us. God very faithfully points out what we actually need. What we actually need. It isn't what we wanted. It probably isn't what we've been looking for or what we've been seeking. But it is what we need. Men hunt for fulfillment, for meaning, for... God says, forget all that. Come to the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Sit down. Get your fork and knife and eat. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat ye. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Do you see the way Isaiah switches from eating and drinking to hearing And believing. That's the point. And so I urge you. Come to Jesus. It is not enough for you to acknowledge. That Jesus is the Savior. Or to admire Jesus. As the Savior. You must eat. You must chew. You must swallow. You must make it yours. You must come to him. By faith and receive him. See him. Believe on him. Rest in him. Rely on him. Trust him. Feed on him. He is all. He is enough. He is what we must have or we die. Let me make one final point then, and I'm finished. There's some truth to the claim that we are what we eat. That your body absorbs what you eat and turns it, as we've already said into re- rebuilds like your entire self i don't know how much how many times but all the cells that make up you have died off several times probably at this point depending on how old you are and they've all been replaced and the way that it's happened is that you have chewed and swallowed and kept the food down <clears throat> so then we can say you are the walking embodiment of chicken nuggets Beanie weenies, spinach, jello, and in some cases about a thousand pints of hot bean juice. Whatever it is that you've been eating throughout your life. <clears throat> we mentioned earlier the controversy about the Lord's Supper. Does it turn into the body of Christ in your mouth or in your stomach? But that isn't the point at all. Not at all. Jesus calls you to eat himself. Get that. To eat himself. And when you do, you become what you ate. The body of Christ. You become that. You are changed into the image of Jesus Christ. You are. Now, certainly the Lord's Supper is a part of that. In fact, this passage shows us really what the Lord's Supper is all about. And it's not about spookiness or kookiness about the body, the the bread changing into something that it isn't. The point is not that the bread changes. The point is that you change by eating it. You change. When you're when you're fed and nourished and satisfied, with Jesus Christ crucified, when he becomes the bread of eternal life for you, then you yourself are changed into a loving, self-sacrificing, Christ-like believer. And that's the goal, right? Till we all come in the unity of the faith And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal, folks. And that's why we eat his flesh and drink his blood. And he's our Lord and our Savior.